Welcome to the Humana 2 Podcast. I'm Adam Williams. When I heard the thumping and the bumping just on the other side of the door that stands between our utility-slash-laundry room and our garage, I went to see what was happening. More than two years into family self-isolation in response to the COVID pandemic, a length of time that I've since come to feel was far too long and not without its emotional and relational consequences, I opened the door to the garage feeling an agitated mood. I wanted more to just stop the noises that were disrupting my want for quiet than I cared to have to resolve yet another conflict between my two young sons. I only wanted to push the boys, I'll just refer to them as big and little, onward and outward into the sunshine for their daily dose of, quote, outside time. After two years of being together virtually 24-7 and years of brothers bickering, I no longer had much capacity to care about the reasons for the thumping and the bumping. I opened the door from the laundry room to the garage and saw the two boys tangled in brotherly battle in a two and a half foot by four foot-ish rectangle of space where as a family we layer multiple seasons worth of jackets on the coat hooks by the door and we drape our winter's snow pants and the summer's wetsuits over a wood railing and we kick off boots and trail shoes and sandals more or less near a shoe rack, all at the top of a half flight of stairs that run down to the cement garage floor. In this tight and untidied space, the older and bigger of my sons had the younger and smaller one in a headlock, his right arm not necessarily squeezing the younger's neck in the crook of his elbow, so much as restraining him, neckily, holding him back, Surely sensing his little brother's face was red with fire and his fists were loaded with determination to retaliate, as is his way. As is Big's way, my firstborn, his sensitive way of not trying to fight his little brother. He looked up at me, his blue eyes asking if I was going to stop this. And as I had so many times before, I gave them both a tired, knock it off, just go outside. Big relented releasing Little's neck and stepping back, trusting his brother would do the same. He did not. Sensing the easing of his opponent's guard, Little shoved Big Brother with both arms, and it was clear that was only his opening salvo. I mean, as is his way, he was cocked, locked, and ready to rock. Big swung once to keep the impending onslaught in check. Then he paused, again looking my way with expectation that I would intervene. Yeah, I had, so many times before, and I was just out of energy for it this time. Just done. Little launched a left foot into Big's midsection. And I said, defend yourself. Neither of you listened when I said to stop. So go, get after it. In the fog of Big's indecision, Little got the jump. He threw a left arm up and around Big's neck, getting his own headlock into position. It meant pulling Big, who was taller, down at an angle. Big no longer could even look Little in the eye. He was at a disadvantage. Defend yourself, I said again. Hit him. (laughs) I mean, I get that that's not what a lot of parents would do at that moment. Not what they would say, or I suppose encourage. I'll guess especially not a lot of mothers, and probably not a lot of fathers either. But sometimes parenting comes down to feel. Don't you think? Feel that sometimes is mixed with a solid amount of fatigue with the bullshit, among other things. 
And of course, if we were training in a boxing gym, it would be the norm. And it would be shouted over and over and over. Defend yourself. Hit him. As a dad, I teach my sons like I might not be around tomorrow and beyond to keep teaching them. When I'm gone, and I hope it's not for another 40 years or more, I want to be around for a good portion of their adult lives. But when I'm gone, should that be sooner than later? I want them to know that they had a dad who taught them, who imparted values and meaningful threads for contemplating and living life. I want them to know that even when I'm gone, I'm still with them through what they carry from what I taught. I also know that Little is a spitfire who has never backed down from his big brother and he is not afraid to get rough. While Big, he's an untested fighter. He's a sweet, sensitive, highly intelligent boy, and I love them both beyond description. My teaching, and I think my wife more or less agrees, is that our sons need the lifelong lesson to not fear setting boundaries with others and to not fear defending themselves when needed. We make it clear that they should never bully others and they should not start the fights. But when a fight comes to them, fear not. Handle yourself. You might get in trouble at school, sure, but you will not be in trouble with me if you've done right in defending yourself with integrity and or someone else who needed your protection. When I was a kid, I was taught in no uncertain terms never to fight. Never to fight. And that if I got into a fight at school, I would be punished there, of course, and then again at home. It was a rule of the house, sternly given through a binary black and white lens. Fighting is bad, and not fighting means staying in good graces, being a good boy, avoiding punishments. Regardless of circumstances, there was no nuance, no conversation about this. Don't fight, or else. As a boy growing up, as a boy, that was crippling, emotionally and socially. There was no nuance to that rule, no stipulations, and fear was instilled in me. I avoided fights. I always managed to talk my way out of them, or as we got older, friends were quick to intervene on my behalf, to put the aggressor in check, or, had it even been necessary, fight for me. Both paths, talking my way out of fights and feeling overly protected by my peers, it was demoralizing esteem-crushing, weakening to me. When I was 11 years old and in 6th grade, our PE class was sitting in our assigned auditorium seats after class. We were waiting on the school bell to dismiss us to the next period. A sizable 8th grader who sat next to me every day at the end of class, and who I'm pretty sure had been held back at least one grade before, punched me in the mouth. I don't remember why, but he was a bully, and I don't recall having done anything to provoke it. I still remember the numbness in my jaw from that punch, though, and the embarrassment when moments later the bell rang and we were heading out of the gym, and one of my good friends, JP, who I'd known since preschool, said, why didn't you hit him back? He was beyond perplexed, couldn't understand why I didn't swing, why I just took it and stood there, looking at my attacker wide-eyed and speechless until the bell mercifully rang moments later. This was the same friend, a farm-strong but typically very mild-mannered boy, who somewhere around this same age in our lives fought a bully who was at least a few years older than us who had been picking on both of us. It happened in JP's backyard. 
When JP's mom, who was in the house, heard the ruckus and came outside on the second floor deck and looked down, what she saw was JP, legs straddling the midsection of the bully and his fists flying, relentlessly pounding on this kid with alternating rights and lefts. I thought for sure JP was in trouble. But when his mom started yelling, I realized that she was yelling at the bully, not JP. She was yelling at the bully who was getting his butt beat by her son. You stop picking on these younger boys. When we were older, college-aged, JP would come to the rescue again when the two of us and a third lifelong friend since preschool were roommates in a duplex apartment. A very angry guy came looking for his girlfriend. I'll say she wasn't in my room, and that's true. But it was JP who we woke up and told to answer the door when that guy came back the second time after I, a very nervous and untested fighter, tried to distract and outwit him by giving him directions that sent him across town to a bogus location that would give us time to get the girl out of the apartment. He went, but he also came back, and JP handled that one. As a teenager in high school, I found that in sports, I could be a fighter of sorts within the context of the sports rules. Basketball was my love, and on the court, I was physical. I could take an elbow to the mouth, throat, eyes, a gash to the skull that would need stitches, and I loved it. I'd give it back. But again, that was in the context of the sports rules. And it's that context that was the difference. I knew how to play physically within the sports boundaries and not veer into extracurricular, dirty, cheap shot kinds of play. Off the court, though, that inflexible, unnuanced house rule against fighting kept me from developing such a context of rules of engagement for myself in the larger world. It kept me from knowing how to set and apply boundaries with other boys, with aggressors who would test me. I never learned through experience how to discern when to stand up for myself. And when I did stand up for myself, I didn't know how to self-regulate the force of it, even verbally. So I tended to either overreact or underreact. And I developed a real and lasting anxiety and self-esteem challenges around it all. I'm still not necessarily sure how to strike appropriate balance in a response to disagreement. When I was in my early 20s, I had become so angry and so deep in alcohol and toxic relations and a lack of love for myself or understanding of myself. I felt stuck in the army at that time. I couldn't get out, but I did have consistent money. I had an army roof and chow hall to give me the basics and a willingness to spend most of what was disposable income at bars where I also could lash out when the impulse and the perceived opportunity for conflict collided. Yet I still couldn't actually get into a full-on fight and test myself. By that point, I think would-be opponents thought I was just too unstable to mess with, too don't give a fuck. That was somewhat true. I'd spoil for a fight to get my ass kicked as much as any other reason. But no one gave me what I was asking for. Not what I thought I was asking for, anyway. I could go on. There are plenty of stories. But I think what I've said serves as enough, well, context. As a father, I don't want to emotionally cripple my son's understanding of themselves and their boundaries and their capabilities. I don't want them to go looking for toxic tests or to think they deserve beatings or need to give them, physically or emotionally. I want them to feel their strength within, to love themselves and have the confidence to know that they can handle whatever and whoever comes their way. I want them to be like some of the self-confident, self-assured men who I challenged many years ago in those bleaker moments of rage and self-loathing that I had as a drunken 20-something. 
and know that they can defuse, de-escalate, and walk away as the more righteous humans of the moment. Not because they fear they're weak or that others will think so, but because they've established their senses of strong, of what strong is, and to know that walking away works when you don't do it from a place of fear or misguided ego and self-disgust. And while my sons are still kids, I want them to know that they won't get in trouble with me as they figure out those truths and those boundaries for themselves. When Little had Big in a headlock in that two and a half foot by four foot fighting ring at the top of the steps in our garage, I told Big, my sensitive, sweet, firstborn son, defend yourself, hit him. Because look, I knew Little could take it. I knew it. I wasn't sure that Big had the belief in himself to give it. I was right. And I was wrong. With his head locked in Little's elbow and his upper body bent at a disadvantageous angle, Big let a left hook rip the air. His knuckles landed as squarely against Little's right cheek as any boxer could hope for, even with a proper view of the target. And with that one swing, the fight ended. The three of us went into the living room, both of them crying, not because of the physical altercation so much as the emotional release of it all. It was then that I asked them to tell me what it was about. I don't even remember what they said now. It was typical, unmemorable sibling conflict. But what I absolutely remember was what came after we squared away the feelings of the misunderstanding that it escalated. There was frantic, giddy, post-fight analysis. Tears turned to smiles. Adrenaline fueled the banter about how exhilarating the experience was. Exhilarating. That was my then nine-year-old's description for it. He was so stoked that he'd finally, again, his word, quote, finally been punched in the face. That's no big deal. That doesn't hurt. He was thrilled. He learned that it didn't hurt in the way someone who has never taken a punch presumes it will and shies away from. And my then 11-year-old, who was so excited that he had found that spark and confidence in himself to feel what it was like to give a punch because he's taken many, many from his little brother, he started talking about finding a boxing gym so he could practice and so he could ride this high of confidence. There was joy and there was laughter in the wake of the fight. Both boys felt good about themselves. Both boys got what they needed from it. And while my approach as the parent involved there might be viewed as unconventional by others or worse, I couldn't have felt better about my son's shared experience either. It's not the last time they've squabbled, of course, or thrown hands. I mean, we took them ice skating recently, and at one point, my wife and I look across the ice, and they're throwing punches at each other while holding onto the railing with their other hands, like they're damn hockey players or something. But then I looked out in the middle of the rink, only 30 feet away from our son's public demonstration of brotherly love, and I saw two other young brothers swinging on each other, and then one grinding the other's head into the ice. And I heard a woman nearby say, they're always fighting. And she didn't yell at them to stop. She just walked away and sat down. I laughed to myself. I felt vindicated and frankly, as a parent, not alone. Thanks for listening. I'm Adam Williams, and this is the Humanitude Podcast. You can read and listen to more at Humanitude.com. And we can connect on Instagram at Humanitude. Remember that we're all Humanitude. We are all connected. What we've got to do is stay true to that. Stay true, stay human, stay humanitude.